you are 25 years old or older, you can probably remember where you were 15 years ago when you heard the news. For me, I was on a golf course in Little River, South Carolina. I remember the exact machine I was on when I found out the news. Again, we could go around the room. Where were you when you first heard September 11th? 2,977 people lost their life that day. Of those who turned those airplanes into missiles, into the Twin Towers, into the Pentagon, Pentagon, and let's not forget the brave men and women who, who took over that other flight and crashed it into a field in Pennsylvania. Of those 2,977 people, 411 of those were first responders, police officers, EMS workers, firefighters. When everybody else ran out, they ran in. 411 of them gave their life that day. It represents the heart of a servant. That when things are going bad, you do not run away from the problems, you run to the problems because you are there for a specific reason. You are there to serve, you are there to help, and if it costs you your life, you're willing to go because you have a heart of a servant. Children that day said, that morning, said goodbye to moms and dads for the last time. Parents said goodbye to children for the last time. And in my book, they are heroes. And they exemplify what it means to be a servant. Now today we have the opportunity and the privilege of being a part of the ordination service of Troy Strickland. The calling to be a deacon is the calling to be a servant. It is a high calling. There are only two offices in the New Testament that we find. It is, the, it is the position of a pastor. It's also referred to as an elder or a bishop. And there is also the office of a deacon. No other offices are instructed to be given in the New Testament. Now, what we find in Acts chapter 6 is not necessarily the installation of deacons, but it is certainly the ministry of what a deacon should be. Now, here's where this text begins. This text begins, first of all, with instructing us on the the need for deacon ministry. Now, if you have your Bibles, verse 1. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a problem arose. There was a complaint that the Hellenists, now they were the Greek-speaking Jews, they, they had a complaint against the Hebrew Jews, the, those who spoke Aramaic. They were, they were native Jews, and here was their complaint. Our widows, the, the Greek-speaking widows, are not getting their ration of food. Now, you have to remember, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, and Peter preached the first sermon there, it was an in, there was an influx of people there. There were, there were Jews from from all over the region. And that's why when the tongues came and, and everybody was there, and they said, hey, this is a native Jew. This is, a, this is a, an Aramaic-speaking Jew. How is it that we see he, hear him 
he's speaking to us in our own language. And so these Greek-speaking Jews, they, they not only spoke a different language, they had different uh, dress, different customs. But now, when Peter preached that first sermon, 3,000 people got saved, and instead of going back home, they stayed there in Jerusalem. And so they're trying to adapt here into this culture. And really what you see in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 is nothing short of a culture clash. Uh, there are people saying, well, well you, you white people are, are neglecting us black people, and you black people are neglecting us white people. And it was just it was a culture clash of what they had going on there. But it also, it led to a second problem. Because what happened is now the apostles who, who are called to be ministers and servants of, of the scriptures, and, and, and you read the, you'll read the text in just a second. Instead of them focusing on the ministry of the word and focus, being focused on prayer, now they've got a problem. Now they're distracted. Now, instead of being able to focus on what God's called them to do, They've got to go and take care of this problem. And literally what the text says, uh, they're having to leave the ministry of the Word to go and serve tables. But now there's something that's going on in this text that if I'm honest, I've never seen this before. It was only in, in, in studying for, for this specific sermon that somebody God used somebody else to point this out to me. Spiritual warfare. Do you realize that what's happened in the past two chapters has been spiritual warfare? Acts chapter 4. In response to the healing of a lame man in the temple, Peter and John are arrested. The very first thing, the church is just growing by leaps and bounds. And then when it's growing in leaps and bounds and God's doing miraculous things, here comes Satan. And Satan comes on the scene, and what he tries to do in Acts chapter 4 is persecution from the outside of the church. He says, okay, the church is growing. Now now let me see what I can do to stop the church from growing. And so the the first thing he does is, is he begins to persecute the church from the outside. Peter and John, they're brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. They're threatened. Hey, guys, don't you speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Don't you teach about Jesus? Don't you talk about Jesus? Don't don't you even bless your food in Jesus' name anymore? Here's Peter and John. Hey, you can say whatever you want, but I can't help but talk about the things I've seen and the things I heard. And so they're released from the Sanhedrin, and Peter and John go back to the church. They gather with the church people there, and they begin to pray. And there is a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. The place is just that they're given great boldness. And they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Satan's first attempt failed. And the church grew faster and faster. Acts chapter 5. Interesting chapter. Ananias and Sapphira. Satan tries a different tactic. Instead of persecution from the outside, he tries corruption from the inside. Now, Acts chapter, in the cha- Acts chapter 4, in the Acts chapter 5, there is a great outpouring of generosity. Uh, people begin to sell their possessions to give to those who are in need. It was, I mean, there's just a wonderful time uh, of prosperity, uh, spiritual prosperity in the church. Well, you've got two knuckleheads in Ananias and Sapphira. Now, they sell a, a piece of property, and they say, we sold it for $10,000, and here's the $10,000. The only problem was they sold it for $15,000. Now, they didn't have dollars back then. It's just 
my sanctified imagination. The problem is they sold it for $15,000 and kept $5,000 for themselves. Now, here's the, here's the rub. Nobody would have said anything if they had sold it for $15,000 and said, but we're only giving you $10,000. But it, the problem was they're trying to build themselves up, trying to say, hey, look at us. We're giving away everything that, we've, that we sold this piece of property to. Look at us. We're, we're, we're great servants. But you will never fool the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verse 3 is actually pretty, pretty clear that this is spiritual warfare. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Satan, you, you cannot divorce Satan from what's going on here in the, in the midst of the church. And immediately Ananias dies. A few verses later, they bring in his wife, Sapphira, and, and there is a, uh, they ask her the same thing. She lies about it, and immediately same thing. She dies. He tries, Satan tries to bring corruption from the inside of the church, but instead of Satan destroying the church, what happens is that God uses this opportunity to bring purity to the church. The church begins to be begin to get purified. People begin to fear the Lord. They live their lives in, in fear and awe of Him and respect of who He is. And, and this, this purity spreads throughout the entire church. So Satan says, okay, persecution is not going to work. Corruption is not going to work. And then you get to Acts chapter 6 and he steps up his, his tactic. Not persecution, not corruption. His final attack is division. That's what's going on here in Acts chapter 6. And sadly, his methods do not change. He'll work to bring corruption or persecution to a church to stop what he's doing. And if he can't use that, he'll begin to pit members against one another and cause division in the church. And then when that happens, it it begins to divide the, the pastors and the deacons. And now instead of doing ministry, we've got to focus on these other issues. Now, you see, the way in which God has designed the church, God has set this up, God has organized it, the way He has set the church up is that the pastor's primary responsibility is to be the minister of the Word, to to spend time studying, hearing from heaven, and on his knees in prayer. Ephesians 4 is very clear, Ephesians 4.12, that the pastor's job is to equip the saints, now that would be everybody else in the church, for the work of ministry. But now here's what happens oftentimes. And shame on you if you have this mentality. Oftentimes we hear things like this. Well, pastor, we pay you to visit us. Uh, Pastor, we pay you to take care of this. Uh, Pastor, we we pay you to come see us when we're sick. Pastor, we we pay you to preach. We pay you to, to plan all these activities. Now what happens is that takes away from the primary ministry of the Word. Not saying you guys do that, but if you do have that mindset, shame on you. But now here's the thing. I've never, I've never looked at it this way. That's Satan working in your life in spiritual warfare. Never thought about it like that. Uh, trying to bring division within the church. I want you to write this down and think about this. The ministry of deacons is to help fight spiritual warfare. It's to help come alongside, and, and, to, and it's what happens in this text. 
Satan tries to bring division. It is the ministry of deacons that helps thwart the attacks of Satan in this text. The spiritual warfare. So you have the problems laid out, verse 1, verse 2. There's a complaint. Then the twelve summoned the people together. It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Sacred problem. And so here's what they say in verse 3. The apostles, they, they gather the brothers together. And they said, okay, here's what I need you to do. I want you to pick out from among you seven men. And then he, he gives a list of, of qualifications. We'll walk through those in just a moment. And he says, but we, we, you pick these seven men so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and the, the ministry of the Word. And so here's, here, you get this picture in your mind. It's not right that we should, should leave the ministry of the Word to go and serve tables. If you've ever gone out to eat and you had a waiter or a waitress, this is, that's the picture that you should get in your mind and hear of what's going on. Uh, hey, I, w- it's not right for us to do this, so pick out seven men, and, and here's the qualifications, so that you will go, and, and they can serve the tables, not a, not a prestigious ministry in any way, it's not a glamorous task. And here's the question that I ask myself. Now think about this. If all the ministry is to go and serve tables... Why is there a need to have qualifications? Have you ever thought about, hey, if, if all you're going to do is go and distribute food, why is there a need to have qualifications to do that? Can't anybody go and serve food? And the answer is, you have to realize that you are doing more than going and serving food. You are going and serving food in Jesus' name. You are going as a representative, as an ambassador of King Jesus. And that means that there are going to be people that are looking at you and, and, and looking at you and thinking, that's what a Christian is. Whether you're given a good picture of Christ or a bad picture of Christ, they're looking at you and say, this is what a picture of Christ is. And so the ministry of a deacon is one of primary being a representative of the church he serves and more importantly, a representative of King Jesus. And so three qualifications are given here in this text. Now, here's just a pet peeve. I see it all the time in, in churches and people I talk to. For some reason, there are so many people who say, okay, well, here's the, my expectations for what a pastor should live, how he, how he should live his life. And then maybe a little bit below that, here's my expectations of what a, a deacon should be. But now here's my expectations of how I should be. Can I, can I just tell you a little secret? We serve the same God and have the same expectations. If you go on the social media and make a post and you would be offended if the pastor made that post, then you shouldn't have posted it. If you're, if you're telling a joke and, and you would think less of me if I had told it, then you shouldn't have told it. If you're in the middle of doing something and you would be offended if I were doing that, then you shouldn't be doing it either. You you see, we have these qualifications, but the truth is every single follower of Christ should strive to meet these qualifications. God's not going to hold me or any pastor to any other different qualifications than what He's holding you. And so we have these qualifications. What are the qualifications given here in this text? We could, we could look at 1 Timothy and Titus and find more, but let's just 
let's just look at these before us this morning. Person of good reputation. Deacons, Christians, are to be people that you can trust. They are to be people of integrity. They are to be people that you could depend upon. You see, your, repu- rep- your reputation is something like trust. It is something that is earned, not given. And you don't just meet people on the street and say, well, I trust that person. No, your reputation is something that must be earned, not given. And as a person that is faithful to his spouse and to his children, it's a person that's faithful to his church. It's a person that is a, a good servant inside and outside. It must be a person that has a good reputation or the people that you are called to serve will not respect you as a servant leader. has to have a good reputation. Secondly, the text says he must be full of the Spirit. So speak out seven men from among you who are a good repute, full of the Spirit. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the Bible says that we are to continuously be being filled with the Spirit. We do that as we seek the Lord through prayer, through Bible study and obedience. So when you are looking for someone to serve well as a deacon, it should be a person that has consistent, quiet times with Jesus. It should be a person that is faithful in their giving to the local church. You can think about it like this. Uh, to be full of the Spirit, Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. When, when you think about someone who is a, a person that is filled with the Spirit, it is, it is a person that is controlled by the Spirit in every aspect, every area of their life. He has to be a person that loves God with everything he has and loves others as himself. Finally, he's full of wisdom. It's a person that can correctly... Here's wisdom. Here's a good definition. A wise person will apply biblical truth in all situations of his or her life. Apply biblical truth to all situations of his life. It's the ability to speak speak for Jesus, to, to, to do what Jesus said when he spoke of to judge with righteous judgment. And the Bible says in James, if you like wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who will give liberally to all of who ask. And one more thing, the text doesn't mention it, uh, implicitly, explicitly, but implicitly. A deacon must prioritize his time to do ministry. In this case, they had to prioritize their time in such a way that they could go on and, and spend time serving the widows in this Greek-speaking culture. In our day, we must prioritize time to spend serving those whom the Father has given you the unique privilege of serving. And so, they pick out these seven guys. Their names are listed in uh, verse 5. And they set, the, set them before the apostles in verse 6. The apostles prayed for them, which is a, which is a sign of affirmation. And they laid their hands on them and prayed. Now notice the results in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. You can think about it like this. The apostles were freed up to do what God had called them to do. That, that's, why the, that's why the ministry of the Word began uh, to increase. The Hellenists were taken care of by the ministry of deacons. And the church grew both spiritually and numerically. So you can think about it this way. When everyone does their part, not just the pastor, not just the deacons, when everybody does their part, the church will thrive. This past week, I... I had a wonderful, wonderful privilege this past week. 
I went with our some of our mature adults to Simply Natural Creamery. How many of y'all have been there? Praise the Lord. Can I get a witness? That's some good stuff right there. I wish I had taken, I put the picture uh, on my uh, presentation this morning. Me and Miss Lorena Andrews, we've got a banana split that is just to die for, literally. I mean, and me and Miss Lorena Andrews, we tear that sucker up. I mean, it, it's just good. But our, our seniors will tell you, we went on a tour of the farm and the facility, and that place functions like a well oil machine. Does it not, Miss Susan? I mean, from their, their care of the animals to the process they go of milking their cows and, and, and making sure everything's taken care of, you know, with, with the bottling procedure. I mean, it's just a well oil machine. But the part that struck me was the way in which they take care of their animals. I mean, every cow that they have is in a database. They know how much each cow produces when it comes to milk. They know how many calves that particular cow has. Uh, There is a vet that comes in, I think she said every six weeks, and looks over uh, the animals. I I mean, it's just meticulous care for those animals. You can think about it this way. Because those cows are so healthy, they give off good milk. The milk that they give off is a result of the health that they have. And man, isn't that a picture of us? If our church is going to be a church that thrives, spiritually growth, numerical growth, it will be a direct result of the health, spiritually, of our people. If you show me a church that is full of unhealthy church members, it will be a church that is inward-focused all about us. Show me a church that's full of healthy church members, and you'll find a church that is not about us, it's about the world in which we live and how we can make a difference in that world. Show me a church where division happens like it did here in Acts. And here's what's going to happen. Shane Rivick, Miss Ann Ayers' son, Ann and Delmas, is a good, good picture of this. Shane's had multiple back surgeries. And he's, he's compensated for it for so long that now his hip is bothering him. Think about that. I, he told me this just as Miss Ann was 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 in uh, having her open heart surgery. Pastor, my back's doing fine, but I've, I've walked for so long, putting so much pressure on this hip. Now this one hip's giving me a problem. And you see, here's what happens. Gosh, this is so good. Here's what happens when. When there's division and now you put undue pressure on, on, on other people, now they've got to take their time off and now they've got to focus so much on this. When somebody does that for so long, you know what's going to happen eventually? Oh, man. I, I've had my division's been taking place for so long. Now it's, it's affecting me in this other area of my life. You see, when you don't do your part, eventually it's going to catch up to somebody else. Let me ask you a question. Just a moment, I won't call Troy up, and we're going to go through our ordination service, but what about you today? Are you doing your part? You see, when you don't do your part, it affects everybody else, and you don't realize that. You see, you, you, you can't 
this model, you take care of you and I'll take care of me, that don't work in the church. We are a family. We are a body. We are one body knit together and everybody has to do their part. If not, it's going to affect everybody else. Are you doing your part? What about these qualifications? Are you the person of reputation? Are you the person full of the Spirit? Are you, are you full of wisdom? Or are you the person that says, well, I've got an expectation for how the pastor should live, but no, I, don't want, I, I shouldn't have to do that. Shame on you. That, that's not honoring Christ. It's just like a fire hydrant coming in my heart. Maybe today you're here and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. Many of you know this. My favorite verse is Mark 10, 45. And Jesus said, For even I didn't come to be served, but to serve. You see, the model for, for deacon ministry and, and even for my own life is, is, is after Christ. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, I want you to hear this. The reason that Jesus came to this earth was to give his life for you. It's the greatest act of service that we've ever seen here on planet earth. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith and your hope in Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to him. This morning, why not today? Why not come today and surrender your life to Him? So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to sing a song of invitation. If the Father is speaking to your heart. Maybe there's areas of sin in your life that is just dominating your life. Maybe you're not doing your part. And the Father is convicting you of that. You respond in obedience to that today. If you've never trusted in Christ, you come. And then when the, I sense that the Spirit is finished in, in that area, I'm going to invite Troy up and, and we'll go through with the ordination of Troy. And so let's pray together. Our musicians will take their place and then we'll proceed. Father, a great day. But Lord, we don't want to rush what you're doing in everybody's life. Father, in Jesus' name, would you pour out your spirit during this invitation? Lord, none of this is about us. It's about you. Father, move as you see fit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is page 307. Would you stand with us? Take your hymnal. The, the Spirit is speaking to you. You come as the Lord leads.